Well, you know, I think I, I think you're not we, trying to do something you can't do. You're not trying to pretend to do something that you can't do. Right. right. I think we spend too much time worrying about, and I do it too. I, I, I you know, with the stuff that I put out there. In fact, I'm going through this now with my first uh, fiction trilogy that I'm putting out. Um, I when I wrote it, it was all about this is what I wanted to say. But now in the editing process and getting closer to uh, sending it out to beta readers and getting ready to release it, I start thinking about, well, what are, gonna, what are people going to think when they read this part? Or how are they going to react to that? Are they going to stop reading? Is it going to, you know, as an artist, we should be representing ourselves. I mean, we can't be so far out there that it doesn't relate to anybody. Right. But at the right. same point, you know, so I would say some editing should be done as far as that kind of content side of things. But at the same point, did Zappa come out and go, well, you know, people aren't going to like it if I just write insane music that no one can understand except for the five people that I've hired to play on it. <laughs> you know, he put it out there and people to this day are like, he's a, he's a genius. You know, you, you have that line, but for the most part, if you're going to put something out there, it should be what you want to put out there. And then hopefully it'll find that audience. I think, I don't think I would be successful if I was just writing you know, catchphrase pop music that was just geared to be played on the radio. I wouldn't be fulfilled even if I became a millionaire over it. Sure. No, well, you know, that's, that's part of the, 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 the fine line. I mean, um, I mean, for me, like what's interesting is that when Clarence and I had our initial meeting, it was, you know, I, I thought we were going to do like a, a jazz trio record or something, you know, mm. like just straight ahead, like, you know, play like jazz standards and stuff. And he's like, you can do standards, but you have to do something different with it. Yeah. He said, he said what, what you're going to what your kind of assignment is, is. Because it's a drummer record, not everything's going to be in four four. You know, you want to write tunes and some odd time signatures. You know, you want to show off that, you know, you can play in other other styles, other, um, other types of, uh, signatures and stuff and that you're fluid in it, you know? So he's like, you're going to take, so the challenge was like, he's like, you know, write tunes and like, you know, you know, three, five, seven, nine, 11, 13, 15, you know, whatever it is, but you know, I want you to do, he's like, that's what you should do. Try to try to do that and like come up with different, ideas and stuff and it was cool because it was like i never really a lot of times i would maybe stuff come up with stuff in seven mm -hmm. but nine was kind of a challenge for me um nine's a hard one because you can hard. with seven you're so close to eight in a way that you just can add and push it a little bit and, and get it where you need it to be in that feel or you can do a four four three four kind of thing and, right. and make it work. But nine to do five, four and four, four just feels so much different to me than doing three, four and four, four. I don't know why, but that's well, always been a well, tough one. Well, you could also do six. Mm -hmm. True. Just, you know, you know, three bars of three. Right. I mean, that's sort of what I did in the number 11, the beginning of it. You have that versus the, that that's the one that's the most academic one. That's like, that's like the etude that I wrote myself mm. because the, uh, it's, it's, um, so you have da, 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 but then you have the bass line is da, 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 one, two, e, e, and, and, eight, nine, you know. So that one has like that 
it's like an interesting juxtaposition of, and then you have against the bug, uh, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that's really an interesting rhythm. And then it's funny because my mom was like, that's my favorite one. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think it's because of the melody is like kind of like, I don't know, it has like a little, little like Arabian quality to it, I, I guess. I could um, see that. But I think I think that's the thing for me. This album covers so many bases. I mean, you've got people that are just going to enjoy jazz fusion. I mean, at the basic level. But there's also a lot of intelligent writing and performance in here that I think there's a lot of things that people can enjoy from different aspects. You know, especially people who who are just sick to death of everything being in four four and just want to have a different feel from time to time. This is a great album to check out if you're sick of that. You know, for guys like me who grew up on rock and roll more so than than jazz of any kind. It was uh, it's a real treat to listen to stuff like that because you don't hear that much of it in rock and roll. You hear mostly four, four, three, four, maybe something really odd, like a seven from time to time. But it's just it's just not there. Well, it's funny you say that, though, because like some of the stuff that I listen to, the challenge was, OK, I'm going to write these odd time signatures, but I don't want it to be math experiment time. Mm. Odd right yeah i don't want you to be like what is that what's happening there that's i mean the last two on the record is the only one that's like that and it's not really like that for very long mm-hmm. it's just you know what i mean it does that for the for the melody but if you just count if you just listen to the melody you can hear that it's a nine mm-hmm. you know um i'm not saying there aren't some parts i went back and listened to and counted but i definitely did that oh no that's fine <laughs> Well, because I wanted to, I I wanted to make sure I understood what I was hearing because I can, I, as a, as just a listener of music, I can just enjoy the song and really kind of shut my brain off and just, just enjoy what I'm hearing. But then there's that analytical, especially the drummer side of me. That's like, wait a minute. Right. But what was that? But the thing is is like, if you listen to it like passively in your car, you're not good. I, I didn't want, like when you listen to stings do like 10 Sumner's tales, Mm-hmm. you don't go oh my god that's in seven right it happens, yeah it happens to be in seven but it's just this like flow of music and that's sort of what my writing i was trying to get get at you know i don't know if you want to play part of rosetta stone yeah that's definitely cool. I, well i was going to ask you first uh because when i hear the words rosetta stone immediately my thoughts go to something that's going to help me learn a language that i'll probably never use uh what was the what was the premise of the title on this one? <laughs> I might get in trouble for this. Okay, yeah. okay, but that's all right. You don't have to answer my questions. I mean, no, no, I can no. just. I will. I will. I will let you know. No, it's a, it's a real it's a real thing. All right. So in two thousand four, I went to Athens, and I sort of met somebody that I really liked. So. It was on. I was on the Fosse tour, and when I came back home, um, you know, we like emailed a little bit here and here and there, and then uh, in like 2008, she actually visited a friend in New York, and she came and visited me too. Nice. And and after she left, I was like, hook, line, and sinker, and I was like, you know what? I'm getting Rosetta Stone, and I bought, <laughs> I bought, I bought. <laughs> I bought Greek. So it, the song is kind of like dedicated to her. Oh, man. And I, felt, I felt like kind of inspired after like hanging out with her and stuff. I mean, she was. She'll get mad at me for saying this, but she was a former Miss Greece. Oh, wow. 
Yeah, it was kind of a funny thing because like this guy uh, who was the music director of this musical Greece in Greece, he gave us these free tickets and we were like this American company and they were this, you know, this like Greek, like local production of Greece. So they gave us this like um, these tickets. And so like it was just funny because like music is such an integral part of the culture there mm-hmm. that when they found that I was the drummer, I was like a celebrity, more so than the actors were. In, wow. in America, it's the opposite. Like, oh, you're the drummer? When's the, like, you know, how many times they come out of Wicked? It's like, when the album would come out? <laughs> right, so, yeah. You gotta, you know, she's not green anymore, you know? Mm-hmm. You know, they could care less. Like, I, I mean, come out, I come out of the, uh, you know, Wicked and be like, are you, are you one of the munchkins? <laughs> like, you know, like, yes, I am, actually. Thank you. Or like I come out of Neverland, you were hilarious. I'm like, I wasn't even in the play. But- <laughs> no, man, I was watching you the whole time. Yeah. Exactly. I used you. to I used to get that in in you know in the rock band world, but it was more like, hey, when's the guitar player? When's the singer? Like, where are they at right now? Like, yeah, the, yeah, you were good. Whatever. Where's the singer? You know, it's yeah. uh, we we definitely take a backstage while we were at the back of the stage. Yeah, I mean that's what that's where we're the backbone. It's cool. I don't I don't I don't mind that. But it was just it was just kind of eye opening to me that were like, wait a minute, all these people like they want to hang out with me. Like they were like, dude, we got a jam, you know, like and, you know. <laughs> That's pretty and cool was, though. And it was cool. Like, and the music director, his name was Achilles, he loved me because like I was like open to hanging out with whoever. And they him and his wife, they like took me all around town. And like it was just funny because like I met her name is Alexandra. I met Alexandra and she was uh you know, she's like married, has kids and everything now. That's why I'm like, I hope she doesn't get, like hear this and get me get in trouble, get mad at me for saying this. But Alexandra and I, we hung out and like um, for like a week, and you know, it was just funny. Like, you know, I'm very unassuming. I just learned like in Paris, if you say, "Hey, you want to get coffee sometime?" They usually say yes because they don't have, they just don't have the hangups about like the dating stuff. Oh, that, right, yeah. Like, we here have here. So it's just like, if you like each other, you hang out and you keep hanging out, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like nothing happened to me, Alex and I, but, but it was like, it was, there was a vibe there. If I was there longer, who knows, you know? Sure, yeah. But, but you know, it's that vibe, it's that feel. When I think of that the Rosetta Stone, I think, I think of the way that I felt when I was around her, like how happy I was, right? you know? And that's sort of what it, what it, um, you know, what, what, I used to write the song. I, I, you know, I think of her and I think of just like how many, it, it was, it was how much she made me laugh. That's what it was. You, you know, know? It's, they say like, a lot of times that, that you don't as much think about how much you like the person, but what you really like about them is how they make you feel. Exactly. Oh, a thousand percent. That's true with everything. Not just, yeah. not just the, uh, you know, like you think about your favorite movies, it's how they make you feel and how, mm-hmm. you know, it's, true of people experiences absolutely you know and she was the only she was one of the few women that made me like laugh like really hard because she would bust my chops like Mm. like a lot you know like um i used to remember like things that she said but she uh like when i when i asked her out initially like I was like, hey, you want to get coffee sometime? She was like, you know, because I did the French thing. You know, I learned at Paris. I was like, and she was like, nay. And I was like, oh, okay. 
I'm like walking away all like dejected, and then she runs after me. She taps me, and she goes, "No, nay is yes in Greece." I'm like, "Well, speak to me," you know, like, <laughs> you know. Oh man! Like so, that. did the Rosetta Stone program actually help you? Yeah. Well, what happened was that's when around the time, um, uh, big Q um, Skype started happening. Okay. Skype started happening. So we would actually have these sessions after she came and visited me in Philadelphia, we would have these like Skype sessions. Mm -hmm. I would like, I would like literally during the Greek, during when I was on tour with Greece, I would literally have index cards and I would like study, you know, and then I talked to her and I tried to impress her with like, you know, some like big fancy words. She's like, Oh, you studied (laughs) like that. (laughs) You know, that's nice. But we had like, we had like a lot of fun, even just chatting and, you know, eventually, you know, you know, she got, she met someone married and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. so I don't really practice it anymore. But the other thing too, is that like, I would go to like, I would try to practice at Greek diners and they'd be like, are you Greek? And I'm like, no, and they would get mad. So I was like, what am I doing learning this language that they don't even want me to learn? Well, it's, it's tough because like with Spanish, uh, you have the ability to flip the dialogue on a movie to Spanish and you can kind of listen along, make sure that you're, you know, keeping up with it. But with anything, Univision? yeah. But with anything else, you kind of um, you kind of lose it because you don't have a reason to keep it going or interact with it unless you have a case like that. Um, I had a friend who spoke seven languages very fluently. And fortunately, this was when Skype was just coming out, too. But we would speak through MSN chat. So there was no video component. So I would have like uh, Alta Vista Babelfish up in one window and the chat in another window so that when she switched languages, I would copy and paste the text into that so I could keep up with the conversation because she wouldn't realize that she was switching languages. She's just speaking. That's what you're right. She just, yeah. So the first time we met in person, I thought, should I bring a laptop and pretend that I'm not looking at the laptop? Like, (laughs) how does this work? Because I'm going to have to type it in. Uh, But yeah, it it was a little bit awkward the first meeting because of that. I would have to then correct her and go, okay, I'm sorry, I didn't understand that. And you know, we, we got used to it after a while, but yeah, it's the language barrier is definitely an interesting thing. Well, the girl that I'm, the girl that I'm dating now, I mean, she's from Colombia, so. Oh, wow. You know, she'll sometimes just speak in Spanish and not realize she's doing it. Cause that's just how she thinks. Exactly. You know, it's, and it's, it's totally cool. I mean, I, I wish I spoke better and I wish I could, you know, understand but you know so sometimes you'll like help me and like be like no gregorio what we need to you know like (laughs) (laughs) you know you know she's like you know be like blah 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 and she's like correct you know like it's like you know there's like things like directions or something and you know you know you'll pick up you'll just naturally pick up some things over time due to the repetition because i dated a girl that spoke uh, a lot of spanish she spoke english very well but she spoke a lot of spanish too and And julia yeah. yeah, you just learn to pick up, you know, little things here and there and what they mean. And then sometimes you're wrong and then it becomes really awkward and uncomfortable. Sure. No, <laughs> and, that's totally fine. And, then, and then there's other times where she's trying to find the right words and she knows it in Spanish, but not English. And Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's know, always fun. It's, 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 it's always fun when you get the. Uh, you like do the. <laughs> you, try, you try to do the thing with the hands. You're like, no, that's not what I'm saying. Oh, whoops, yeah. sorry. You I know. do the um, uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, a lot. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I do that's that with it. with all things, whether there's a language issue or not. 
I mean, me too. Me too. Actually, what's funny is my friends joke with me. They said the girl in Greek probably the girl in Greece probably liked you because you you couldn't uh, speak Greek. Oh, they, yeah, right. <laughs> you, couldn't anything, you couldn't say anything really stupid. <laughs> like, well, or, or maybe she wouldn't have known if you did. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's what I mean. If you said something really dumb, she w- it wouldn't be understood. So I was like, yeah, whatever. It's- right. Yeah. I get, and I get a lot of that too. Just meeting people around the world, the the difference in the language barriers really does have an impact on the conversation. And you know, sure. there there are things that you can't just cheat and look up. There there are things that you have to understand that the way that they understand English is is just different, and you kind of have yeah. to you know go with their. Okay, I think this is what they're trying to say, because sure. they're never going to get the right translation. And that's fine. Yeah. And that's, I mean, it's, it's, um, you know, for me, it's always interesting when someone actually speaks another language and they feel uh, ashamed that they don't speak English as well as they should. And I'm always like, you speak another language perfectly. So Mm. you're ahead of the game. Yeah. I, well, I think people just, because English is such a predominant language uh, across the world, you know, so many countries speak it that there's this kind of perception that, you know, you should be good at it. And I don't, I mean, to me, like if you, if you can speak at all, if I can understand anything you're saying, I'm usually happy. But, yeah, but that's why it's a tricky language. I mean, the whole like Gallagher thing, like, you know, or I remember like a dumb. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were talking before the show uh, and I'll play the clip in a second, but we were talking about how uh, universal music really is, especially when it comes to language that, you know, I can write a song and while I'm writing that song, I could think about swimming in the ocean and, and you know, going underwater and seeing the coral and the, the colorful fish and all that. But when you listen to it, you might be thinking about skydiving or the view of the of the, the world outside of the window of your plane that you're flying on. You know, we, sure. we have that ability to just really uh, create whatever we get as we listen to something, especially for the first time. When you're writing, do you think about, uh, I mean, obviously you have an idea of what you're writing about, but, but are you a visual writer? Like, are you trying to convey something that you have a visual for? Um, no, not really. I mean, sometimes there's an emotional thing that I'm trying to get to. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, like, you know, like some kind of emotional feeling, but a lot of times, honestly, <laughs> More of my writing has probably been uh, uh, because of mistakes I've made while I'm trying to play something else. Oh, I love I go, that. that sounds, and that sounds cool. I need to keep that, you know, and it's that's the you know, um, that's the way certain things have done. Or I'll try to think or I'll, I'll um, a lot of times for me, it comes from the bass. Mm. I think from being a drummer, it always comes down to the groove or some kind of interesting chord progression that I stumble upon. Mm-hmm. Um, like uh, there's that one thing at the end of quarantine, actually, uh, where it goes, you know, and the bass line's like F sharp to like D, but it's actually like, I don't remember. What the, I think the chord's like G flat and then it goes to like B flat major, but the D's in the bass. You know, mm-hmm. just the way that like goes from like G flat to the B flat, but the F sharp to the B D in the bass gives like a really interesting sort of angular vibe that I'm like, oh, I gotta explore that more. Right. Yeah. How, how, can I, how can I make this? How can I make this musical? Mm-hmm. You know, and then I'll and then I'll try to figure, then I'll try to find a melody that's sort of singable, 
Because for me, it's cool to be like, you know, it's, it's amazing when guys do that. But the parts that always stuck with me is when a guy's soloing is like when a guy plays like it's like that's the part you can sing right that's the yeah. part that sticks with you more so than playing a thousand notes at the same time because it's it's picking those right notes that resonate with you yeah you know? I, i've never been a big fan of the let's let's cram as many notes into something as i can i mean there's there's a time here and there where it's okay and and i actually enjoy it but for the most part it seems like when you do that, you're you're not playing for the song anymore. You're you're really just kind of off in your own little world and it doesn't fit and it doesn't sound right. So it doesn't feel right. But I love those happy mistakes that just create something new. So many times I've been recording something and I'll just play it wrong. And I'm like, well, wait a minute, though. I actually like that better than what I was really trying to do. Right. Well, I would say, well, the thing about the fast notes is I would say it, it depends what everybody else is doing. Right. You know, if, 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 if the section if, is designed for it and it works, that's one thing. But it's when I'm talking about more when like people are just playing the, the groove behind it and somebody is just going off, just trying to do as much as they can. You see it more with with uh, like flashy rock guitarists than you would in, in uh, like jazz fusion. But yeah. I've, I've heard some sax players do some things that I'm kind of like, you know, you could you could dial that back just a wee bit and still well, be in the song. Drum videos, too, to be honest. A lot of times. You know, especially the insta, the whole insta drummer fad and stuff mm -hmm. is like, you know, some guys are like playing a lot of notes and it's like, it may sound cool, but like, I wouldn't want to hear you do that live. Yeah. Well, but um, there's some stuff that, that they do too. Like I, I, I used to love watching Terry Bazio videos. Oh, he's, the, he's awesome. He is. But as I watch them, the question that I would ask myself is, what can you actually do with what you're doing, though? Like, it's amazing what you're playing. I love these these things, and they sound fantastic. But what can you do with them other than show off in a drum video? Like, what what could you do musically with some of this stuff? And I honestly couldn't come up with answers for a lot of the stuff I heard him do. Incredibly sure, well, impressive, but where do you go with it? Well, the thing about Terry Bozzi is a special case, because Terry, music that he does is by himself. 90% of the time these right. days. But he's Terry's such an incredible musician. If he were to play in a band, he would fill that role and just support the band. He's one of those guys that can switch hats like that because otherwise he wouldn't have played with Zappa. Well, very true. And he was fantastic playing with Zappa and with missing persons. Right. You know, so he's like, you know, so he he, you know, he his his drum music is actually kind of an extension of that. It's just he's playing by himself, so he can do whatever the hell he wants. Right. As long as he, if he can think of it, he's going to play. It, you know. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and make a video. Uh, I don't, there's a there's a Terry there's a Zappa record with Terry Bozio live in New York, and he's backing up Michael Brecker, and it's like some of the most incredible comping you've ever heard in your life. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's this thing in seven, like you know, it's like, and Michael's like, he's like, he's like, he's like doing all this. Terry Bozio is like slamming the hell out of the drum. It's awesome. Well, I, my my favorite song that I've ever heard him play on actually was Mental Hopscotch by Missing Persons because he just throws in these little things that no one else would ever do, but they work so well with that music. Well, that's that's the whole thing, right? If, if it's you got to put in something that's going to create interest, not without taking away from the song. I mean, that's what you know. I guess within you know talking about like the Steve Gadd videos, I mean, that's the one thing about Gadd's stuff is that he creates interest for the listener 
without getting in the way. Oh, that's well said. You know, like even with the Chick Corea stuff, he's playing all that brush stuff and the 16th on the brushes or the hi-hat or whatever, but it never gets in the way. Right. Because he knows how to mix it in the, within the kit. Yeah. You know, he knows how to, he, his ear, it works as well with the band as opposed to like being like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so supportive really, really, and not obtrusive. Yeah, exactly. And Terry's sort of the same way. I mean, the guys that are really great and that's what they do. That's, yeah. that's part of that's part of the thing. I and mean, that's what I try to do when I'm copying. I'm just trying to give them a little, you know, like you say, question and answer. Right. But sort of like, you know, I'm not, I'm not playing. I wouldn't say that I'm playing with lots of chops, except for maybe a couple spots here and there. Mm-hmm. Now, most of it's really just trying to be dynamic, shape the music in a certain way and not play the same group. That was a big thing that Clarence kind of taught me was like, um, so we had the the, the 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 rehearsal on Thursday, and then the session was on Sunday. And Thursday, as we were packing up, Clarence like kind of sat me down and like you know had like a little bit of like a like a heart to heart with me about like you sound really good, but I want your playing to not sound as stagnant, you know. And and I was like, all right. So somebody says that to you, right? two days before you were, you know, and I've been playing with my logic files forever. Right. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. You know, so I'm like, oh, God, what does that mean? You know? And uh, basically like, you know, he was like, he called me up the next day to kind of check up on me. Cause he knew that was like, a, that was like dropping a bomb, you right, know? Yeah. He could, tell, he could tell that I was just like, Oh God, what does that mean? <laughs> you know? And in some ways, you know, he called me up the next day and was just like, listen, don't, I just mean, you don't, these guys, they're, you're playing with these guys. Their time is so good that you don't have to do that. You right. don't have to start with playing time right away. Mm-hmm. You know, you can, you can, you can start shaping, start, start with, uh, you know, just think of color, think of color, think of, uh, you know, sw- swellings, think of, think dynamically, think, you know, it doesn't even have to be the whole groove all the time. You know, it, it, it just think of like building and shaping and, and and those kinds of things. And he was like, listen to like Paul Motion, you know. And so like a couple of things that I listened to, I listened to this Paul Motion record uh, with Jerry Allen. It was actually a Jerry Allen record and Paul Motion. Paul Motion's a drummer. He used to play with Bill Evans, the piano player. Oh, okay. That's sort of like what people know him as because he was in the Bill Evans trio. Mm-hmm. But he's, you know, he's. He's one of like the legends in, in jazz drumming. He plays a lot of free jazz and stuff. Um, and but when he plays time, it's just a lot of colors and cymbal swells, and it doesn't have to. It just but he he finds a way to do it where it breathes, you know. Uh. And that's sort of what I I kind of understood is like when we do a rehearsal, we do the head, and I go right into playing the groove, you know, because that's what I'm hearing guys do on Instagram. So I'm like, oh, this is what this is what I got to do, you know. Right. And he was like, we don't need that. That's mm-hmm. already been done. You know, so a lot of it was just like we finished the head. We finished the head. When well, head, I mean the melody. Right. Yeah. And then we we kind of like okay, so where are we going to start from here? And the song that I would think that the best has the best interaction would be misinformation at right after the solo start. Just the way that we all build together. I think that's like for me, that's incredible. Well, That's and, my favorite. And what's impressive too is that, as you mentioned before, you really didn't have the line of sight for everybody to be able to kind of just look at each other and, and get that feel for each other. 
and creating a song that has that kind of cohesiveness uh, uh, under those circumstances, that's that to me is really amazing because with this kind of music, with jazz fusion, like you need to be able to see each other, feel each other, know where where it's going and know when to change. And without that line of sight, that's a tough that's a tough uh, uphill battle, really. True, but I think we all used our ears enough that we just let it. We just let the music do what it was going to do. Yeah, you know, without you know, sometimes. You know, it might be a couple things where I'm forcing something, or uh, you know, maybe not forcing something, but like I'm, I'm maybe if somebody says something, I play the exact same thing back to them. Mm-hmm. Maybe that happened a little bit too much because of you know, but that's also not playing with anybody for a while. That's true. You that's know, true. Like, and you're playing your own stuff. You've got so much to focus on while you're trying to record. That's you know, especially for your first album. Um, yeah. And the thing is, I think if it was like problematic, Clarence would have said something. Oh, for <laughs> sure. Know? Yeah. He doesn't seem like he's holding back on you at all, <laughs> you know, which is what you need in a producer, to be honest. Actually, well, actually, it's funny. It's the opposite. Yeah. It, it was when we did the first take of Bli-Fi, which is the second song on the record. Mm-hmm. It's really an Afro-Cuban groove in five. Mm. So I don't know if you want to do you want to play that a little bit? Yeah. Just start from like, I don't know, like a minute in, I guess, just so you can kind of get the vibe. But it's Africa, you know, Africa, six, eight is normally in four, but I did a version of it in five and it's a blues. But, but we kept, we kept doing it and they, and we did a, we did a take of it. And like, it was the first thing that we did in the morning because it was sort of like, oh, let's do it like something that's kind of easy. We can all kind of get comfortable doing, chill out, you know, and kind of relax before we start doing some of the harder tunes. That was mm-hmm. part of the, the thing that was interesting was like learning like you talk about oh that was one of your first questions what do you learn you learn like how to pace right stuff. yeah you know, like like the, the set order that we did that morning was like we did like bli-fi then we did rush hours second and then we did um the quarantine song because it was sort of like a breather mm. and then we did and then we did um Rosetta Stone, which is the hardest one, probably. Mm-hmm. So those are the first four that we did. So it was like easy, hard, sort of easy, hard, very difficult. Right. right? Yeah. And then we did like one or two more songs and then we had lunch. Mm-hmm. And then we came back and we finished the second half of the day. You know, so that was like the pacing of the record. Right. Of the recording session. So we did the very first thing was Bli-Fi. And, and what we're using, I think, is the second or third take of the of of um of what we did because the first take i was just sort of playing sort of getting a, a feel and then clarence just came in and they were like african make it more african more 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 and i mean i'm i'm i, I might even be overplaying on it but mm-hmm. but it does sound pretty cool <laughs> <laughs> it does yeah but i mean be glad that you're not an actor because the direction you might be getting would be okay you're really being yellow right now and we need you to be more purple and you're just like what the fuck is purple like what yeah, you right. know <laughs> so at least at least they're like with music you have tangible things that you can give directions to uh, sometimes they still don't make sense though so. sure let's let's, well, uh, let's check out a little bit of it sure
I just love how much of that feels off of the tempo, you know, the, the additional things that you're throwing in there that aren't right on the beat where you would expect them to be. The fact that the bass is just playing that beautiful melody, you know, as, as it goes on, it's just, it's just such a great song. Thanks. Yeah, that was a, yeah, that's sort of like a vamp. It's sort of, actually, I wrote this one for like uh, the great pianist McCoy Tyner. Mm. He passed away like in March. Oh. You know, I don't have a blues. I need to write a blues. And, you know, Mar- McCoy Tyner used to play in John Coltrane's uh, quartet. Mm. Elvin Jones and you know, Jimmy Garrison. Yeah. And, uh, Those and, are some like, players right there. Oh, man. And, well, he, you know, his whole thing was like the quadrantal harmonies and stuff. And, you know, I remember thinking, I remember hearing like, you know, like, um, you know, all those train things were like the bass does like this, like, uh, does like a, a motif and then everyone kind of plays off of it. Like uh, a tune, Mr. Day, boom. You know, and like, and everything just kind of builds off from that. So I was thinking like, well, if we did something like a group, a five, four groove, you know, why not go, 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 and then Yasushi took it upon himself to actually go, do, 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 you know, like he just like, and it just actually locked it in even better right, than what I had. Yeah. 